part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Is what Martin Bashir did to get that interview with Diana inappropriate? What decisions should heads of programming have made in regards to the Panorama interview? And is episode nine just a sad version of when Harry met Sally? We'll answer those questions and more on this review of The Crown, season five, episodes seven through nine, in our spoiler filled edition of Podcast Willibit, which begins now. We're covering the most recent season of The Crown. Make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. Welcome back to podcast a little bit. We're taking time to watch and talk about season five, episodes seven through nine of The Crown on Netflix. If you haven't seen those episodes, why are you here? We don't want to hurt you. Uh, go watch the episodes and then come back if you haven't seen them yet. Otherwise, we're here to talk about those episodes. I'm Double M. I'm joined by Boss Bubba, that's Double B, and Sovereign Susan, that's Double S. And we're going to talk about these episodes. We don't like to waste time around here. The first thing we're going to do is talk about these ratings of these episodes. And Susan, I guess I will start with you. On a double scale, what is your rating of these three episodes from one to ten? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I think last week my ratings were a little bit high. I tend to go a little bit too high anyways. And I didn't care for these as much as last episode so i'm gonna go for a 6.5 6.5 out of 10 yes double what <laughs> double d for dirty drama Ooh, dirty d. drama done dirt cheap love it <laughs> or even triple d dirty and diabolical drama dirty diabolical drama Dun, dun, dun. There's a triple D, too. Excellent. Bubba, what was yeah. your rating of these episodes on a scale of what it did? Well, I was kind of down on the first three of season five. I was rather up on the second three of season five. And wouldn't you know, I am still high. I'm giving this nine triple M's out of ten. Triple M's? Triple M's is for meaningless moo moo. I've been so down on episode three of season five, where we meet Moo Moo and Dottie, Dodie, excuse me. And I was so down on it because it was like it killed the momentum of the season. So, but I thought at the time, well, it's setting up, it's setting up things that we're going to see play out over the next several episodes. No, now we've gone six episodes and Moo Moo and Dottie, excuse me, Dodie, don't have anything to do with this season at all. And so I'm still upset about season three, but I thought these three episodes, uh, excuse me, I'm still upset about episode three, but I think these three episodes, six, excuse me, seven, eight, and nine, really do a great job following up on what we saw in episodes four, five, and six. I thought it was great. I thought it was a natural progression. As somebody who doesn't really know the history behind this, 
I could tell that episode nine had a lot of uh, made up things that didn't really happen, but I still thought it was interesting. I still thought it was a great way to get us into the characters' heads and to see why divorce is terrible. It's painful, but a lot of times it's the right answer for people. And so I really like these uh, three episodes we're going to talk about today, Matt, nine out of 10. That's me. That's a great rating. My rating was not uh, as high as my high scale normally dictates. As you know, I can't rate anything below a seven, but this time I only went 8.426547 out of 10, what I like to call double T's. Wait, double T's? Yes, that stands for troublesome technicalities, uh, much hmm. like my review or my rating there is very technical. Yeah, uh, hard but to there understand were some where trouble- that number came from. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I never round up, right? Uh, so the uh, the troublesome ter- te- technicalities, uh, anywhere from Diana's friend's husband's surgery to quibbles about who actually negotiated the royal charter to why you can't hear all of those fireworks in either the real interview that Diana did for Panorama or the fictional one. At any rate, I just did not get into the subject matter of this. Maybe it's because it was like for Susan last week, a little bit too close uh, to things that I remember. Uh, I do did love the performances. I thought they were great. I'm just not terribly wild about the uh, the subject matter. And I, I don't want to belittle the importance of this for sure. I believe that Martin Bashir did do uh, the entire Royal family dirty by introducing evidence in order to get her to do that interview. But for me, the whole thing about the, the whole Pakistani manipulation, uh, there's no evidence that any of that occurred. And to me, it just seemed like they were trying to magnify Bashir into being so ambitious that he's just willing to manipulate on that level. I think the using those false numbers and those false accounts is, is pretty much evidence enough that he was pretty slummy, but I, I don't know if I like the character assassination of the guy, uh, you know, using, especially, uh, you know, Arab, uh, sayings and things like that to manipulate Diana simply because she has an interest in a, in a, a Pakistani doctor thought that was a little low for the show to go but that's just my opinion folks and these are all our opinions so who cares what we think we care what you think well we care what we think because otherwise why would be would we be at these microphones but we do want to hear what you think and you only have one week left to tell us what you think if you want to be part of our contest you are part of our contest by submitting feedback to this podcast and contests uh, con- the contest will include books that you can win from us, like The Crown Dissected or The Crown Official Companion Volume 1 or The Crown Official Companion Volume 2 or this lovely big book called The Crown in Vogue, which uh, has lots of pretty pictures and articles in it. It is our grand prize for this. We will draw it last. Uh, but you can see there's all kinds of neat things. It's got the articles. It's got all the photographs from any Vogue magazine articles in there, plus some additional material as well. You will love it. But the only way you can win any of this stuff is if we put your name on our wheel at wheelofnames.com. And when we spin the wheel, we will choose four different winners, one for each of those prizes. And 
we will send them to you on us. All you'll have to do is give us your information. How do you win? You send tweets to at LilibitPod on Twitter or to at the word double, the letters PHQ on Twitter as well. In fact, double P has that same handle for Instagram, for Hive. And you can use that same spelling for Facebook as well. Facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. If you want to send emails, please send them to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com. M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com is the simple way to get a hold of me. Leave comments on the Double P Media YouTube or on my website. Most importantly, we want you to subscribe to the Double P Media YouTube, which is doing Star Wars this year for sure. Perhaps some Babylon Berlin if it gets onto Netflix uh, sometime this year, which we all hope that it will. Lots of great stuff. The Last Kingdom movie should be coming out. We'll be reviewing that on Double P as well. So there's all kinds of things to look forward to. And you can find everything on the Double P Media YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. Use that same spelling for their website, doublepmedia.com. Or you can leave comments on my web posts at mattsaudioblog.com. Just a reminder, we haven't done any musical analysis for these episodes in terms of uh, seven through beyond. And I will be putting out a special musical podcast probably a couple of weeks after we wrap up our storage coverage. Uh, I'm going to need just a little bit of a breather before I get back into diving into Martin Phipps's score. And therefore, uh, it'll be just a slight delay. But we will be having our contest in one week. So you have until February, what is that? February 7th to get any feedback into us in order to be part of the contest. That is your date, February 7th, 2023, if you want to be included in any of that information. Let's get into talking about this particular episode of the first of three, season five, episode seven, entitled No Woman's Land, directed by Eric Richter Strand. And here is your 64-second recap. Despite feeling bad about it, Diana puts on a brave face in public post-separation with Charles. Elizabeth is excited to have her grandson near the house from time to time as Diana and Charles drop William off at Eton, even though Charles and Diana do continue to quibble over things. All this while BBC Panorama reporter Martin Bashir is investigating Diana, looking for an angle to get an interview with her. He convinces his supervisor he can get the interview and fabricates financial statements to convince Diana's brother Charles that phone taps and other surveillance on him and Diana are real. Elizabeth enjoys William visiting but worries about him as he worries about his mom. Elizabeth asks Margaret about Diana but Margaret doesn't know nor would she tell anything to the Queen about Diana. However, Diana needs to worry about Diana as her brakes fail while she's out for a drive. She does get a bright spot in her life as she meets a surgeon by the name of Hasnet Khan and begins to feel bitter about things, despite the fact that Bashir has now convinced her that she is being monitored by government agencies. She and Hasnet go on a vending machine date, a disguised movie date, and have a first kiss, but she also agrees to do the interview with Bashir. So, folks, as we always do... Let's spin the wheel of topics to find out what we're going to talk about in regards to this episode. Oh, my goodness, Matt. Look where it landed. It landed on somebody we are still talking about in today's world of 2023. It's the double W, the William Worries. Wow. (laughs) This son, who has a great spotlight across these episodes, this son He's really put in the middle of a lot of family drama. 
He's got his mother fussing over him. He's got his mother kind of using him as a sounding board, almost as a psychiatrist at times. He's got the queen using him as a uh, TV, TV repairman. That's a double right. I, I love it. So where do you, where do you guys want to talk first about young Prince William? Susan, I'll let you start, actually. Do you feel any empathy for him at this time in his life with all of this stuff happening to him? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Especially with when they showed him on the day of, of starting Eaton and uh, the press all there just made me contemplate the, the idea of uh, a child having that kind of focus and attention on them anytime they left the door of their home. It's, you know, got to be a horrible pressure to be under. I wanted to bring up first off, uh, you know, this actor who played the role of William in these episodes is a little bit older than the one they had in the uh, beginning of the season. And he also happens to be the son, the real life son of Dominic West, who is playing Charles. Oh, Uh wow. Yeah. This is his very first acting role. I had no idea. Yeah, I read a little bit on it, and Dominic uh, apparently was telling him, you don't know how lucky you are to have gotten this for your first acting role. He certainly did a good job. I mean, I didn't, you know, normally I'm very tough on child actors. uh, because I thought he was excellent. I I, I tend to shake my cane at the television anytime I see a child actor on. Uh, But I didn't with this kid. He was good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess my first topic about it uh, would be this this idea of um, uh, Diana talking to him about you know things from her personal life and so forth. I felt like I felt like she was kind of relating to him almost more than uh, you know it's more of a confidant than a mother in some situations, and I don't think that's always you know that's not necessarily a very healthy role for a child to have to be put into that situation um which i think kind of uh, also related to how um elizabeth was talking about you know this is you know that so much drama that william was being put through that you know his parents were adding additional onto that that really was uh you know sad that a child had to go through all that i agree i think that uh you know, I'm certainly not pointing this back just to Diana because uh, it's probably gone back a lot further than that. But this whole uh, mom, child, best friend stuff, I think that that's great after, you know, the age of 21. That's fine. You can be your best friend's mom after the age of 21. But right. I don't I don't need to hear my mom's business when I'm like 13 or 11 or whatever like that. That's something that you can protect me from. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Bubba, any thoughts on any of that? Well, I was going to say I'm the product of divorce. My parents divorced when I was two. And so I don't think parents try to do it. But all my life, I've heard, uh, you know, minor gripes about, oh, your dad didn't pay this for this, which he said he'd pay for when you got a divorce and that kind of thing. And so it, to me, it almost felt, it certainly felt believable. It felt natural. And it also felt, though, that, the way these episodes play out, it really doesn't feel like Diana has many friends. And that's one odd thing that you would assume in real life, somebody would have friends. But once again, taking the show at at face value, she really doesn't have anybody she can confide into. And so it it feels uncomfortable, but also felt very real. 
Yeah. Well, I, I agree that the, the sense of isolationism uh, for Diana it has to be pretty awful the way they've painted it in the show anyway, because she's been that way since basically uh, uh, what, since she moved into the place before she even got married, she's felt cut off from everybody. Um, and, and it is kind of telling that, that it's so sad that she feels like she has to tell her son about this or that, uh, you know, I'm, I've met somebody, I, I hope you not in this particular episode, but in the next episode, I mean, this, this stuff stretches over the whole course of these episodes, at least, uh, the first two. So, yeah, and I thought uh, one thing that was really telling in, in that instance too, is that when Diana was questioned about who could be, you know, interviewed, uh, to, you know, get information you know, who were her friends that could be interviewed? Everybody that she talked about were people that had like financial relationships with her when she talked about her acupuncturist or her aromatherapist or, you know, all, all these people. They weren't individuals that you could say had just a normal friendship type of relationship with somebody. They all had a financial interest in their relationship with her. If you remember back to previous seasons where when Diana ended up getting engaged to Charles to celebrate, she went out dancing with her friends and a bit of me watching these yeah. episodes. was like, where are those friends now? Where, where's right. the disco? Let's have some fun. Doesn't seem yeah. to exist. Or even in this season, when you look at uh, the gentleman from the hospital, that was her friend that basically, you know, shipped the book back and forth between her and, and, and the author. Uh, where is he right now? what's happened to him uh is there or is she talking to him and we're just not seeing it off screen you know or it's happening off screen we're just not seeing it but it's certainly implied by the whole you know thing with william that she just she wants to be open with him but uh maybe she needs to be open with somebody is is almost the way the impression that you kind of get the way you put it up is it good that someone spends so much time with their grandmother i i, I think that part if he didn't have this drama between his parents, I think a child spending that, you know, kind of a weekly session with his grandparent is, is a great idea. And it yeah. comes across wonderful and very realistic when you have to explain, okay, grandma, there are these 67 channels and this is how remote works. Universal, the, you know, the Royals are just like us. I will share a story, uh, which is my freshman year in high school. My grandmother lived two blocks away and I did not have a vehicle. Naturally, I did not have a driver's license. And so the, my parents, both working, uh, would tell me to walk over to my grandmother's house every day after school and wait till one of them could get there to pick me up. Uh, I could have taken the bus. I could have done all those things, but I opted. No, it was good because grandma, this was before I was diagnosed a diabetic made the best cookies in the world. And so I, there wasn't a day that went by that I stopped at grandmother's house up until I, I actually was diagnosed. I was already had my license. So I was I sure really you were going to say up until last week, yeah. <laughs> free cookies. <laughs> up, until, up until last Tuesday, Matt and Susan, I have a question for you guys. And that is, is that we often talk about how children are a combination. You get this trait from your dad, you get this trait from your mom. Uh, you know, we're, they're, uh, they're a product, right? Do you see that in this portrayal of William? 
in the show? Do you see he, the sides that he's taking after his mother? Do you see the sides take him taking after his father? Or is the show not presenting that at all? Because I currently don't see it in in this portrayal of the son. I kind of do, but not until the next episode. And I, I think it's safe to say this, but when during this whole thing where she's talk, talking to him about um, uh, about uh, Dr. Khan, um, he kind of gets a little bit of, okay, that's enough attitude about it, uh, which kind of reminded me of his dad just a little bit. Yeah, I didn't necessarily, I can't necessarily say that I saw traits of any particular parent in him, but I do want to add one more comment about uh, grandma. It seemed like uh, she was, the show was demonstrating how frequently she spent time with William. We didn't see that really with any of her own children, did we? All right. Yeah, she was very distanced from them, uh, it seemed like. With- oh, I was I was going to say, you know, Charles and Anne, they didn't know how to fix the TV. So why spend any time with them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Or, or on the other hand, look at, uh, I, I kind of, because she's like, oh, good, William can now come over. And then she's like, but I don't want to be imposing or anything. It's almost like she's asking her her private secretary to find a way to bend the rules by saying right. the opposite, which I, that made me feel bad for Elizabeth. And like, she, she's missed having children around her, which is nothing that we've ever seen before, but it still made me feel bad for her. I enjoyed that little bit where they were talking about the uh, different terms that Eaton, that uh, they, they understood all the little secret code words and so forth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love that. He, he, he was just delighting in that uh, much the uh-huh. same way that I delighted in my grandmother's cookies. Spin the wheel. You know what? There is one more thing I want to say about the William thing, though. (laughs) And that is that shot of Diana reaching over Williams when he was said he had signed the wrong spot and she was pointing to the book. Uh, You'll see a lot of television footage from the front angle of that, naturally, where all the press were, where they were looking at them. And you see her reaching over and pointing to a spot on the book. That was so well done because we didn't have to see it duplicated, but you knew exactly what that was if you'd seen that footage before. I thought that that was fantastic. I thought that that was absolutely perfect. Where did the wheel land? I can't. It's Diana's frog, which I'm not sure. Uh, I get, I understand where this is going. So Matt, why don't you describe what you mean? by diana's frog well i'm talking about dr hasnet khan of course because she tells him straight to his face uh that he is her frog she's already had the prince and the prince disappointed her uh so why not be my frog uh let me ask you this bubba if diana put it to you like that would you be her frog i'd say how much are you getting in that divorce again hello yes please (laughs) ribbit ribbit sugar smacks other things with frogs yes but i do and once again we're kind of jumbling all these episodes up a bit i do understand what uh the ghosting which happens in a later episode i suppose Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that at that time but i thought it was very it's very charming to 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 find two people have a connection in any scenario and so i thought this episode was great about showing that I did too. I loved the little, uh, the vending machine date 
I thought that that was great. Um, I think that he, Diana was kind of being Diana as she has been all the season, which is to talk about, you know, her role with the royalty, which I guess is really the only thing that she feels like she has to talk about to a complete stranger. She can't really say anything else or whatever. And she, but I love the the connection that she did have uh, with him in in terms of you know him remembering what kind of trouble her visit to Pakistan uh, was for the country, you know, in terms of traffic and all of that other stuff. Uh, I thought that that was a nice a nice touch, and I absolutely loved. Uh, the fact that they tended to like the same stuff out of the vending machine, stuff that I'd never heard. Uh, and uh, he's so serious. He, it's, it's like he can't, uh, she's, you know, Diana can be kind of, uh, even when she's just being flirty or whatever, she can be very cheeky, very uh, fun. You know, that's part of her personality. And uh, some, sometimes I feel like he he didn't quite know how to take that. I mean, when she shows up at, at a theater dressed the way that she does, you got to understand that, that this is a girl who likes to have fun, right? I mean, she's going to go out to the movie theater, no matter whether anybody tells her that she can or she can't, or, or whether press would be there or not, she's going to fool them all and have her fun. Susan, what did you think about Dr. Hasnet Khan and Diana in this episode? I, I enjoyed it. Um, this is uh, not anything that I ever knew anything about. So it was fun to see that uh, she had this relationship, which I guess was pretty serious after I did a little bit of reading about it afterwards. But one of the things I also enjoyed was when she was giving him that list of what the royal family expected of her and put her through was quite similar to what would be expected of a woman in a very traditional Islamic uh, culture. So uh, I mm -hmm. thought that was, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, whether it was uh, realistic that any kind of conversation like that would have ever taken place, I thought it, it was it was a good comparison list because it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I remember that whole episode, and I guess it was, was it season four where she's being brought around the palace and I can't even remember who the person was that was training her, but it, it just felt like uh, a whole list of rules and everything, you know, and I didn't even think about making that kind of comparison at the time. But uh, mm -hmm. in her mind, it's that kind of comparison. I love that you brought that up. It looks like, oh, God, that's a lot of words. Uh, I can read Martin. I can't read the rest of it. Can anybody else read the rest of it? No, I want you to guess. If you say you can read Martin, what do you think the rest of it says? Come on. <laughs> Martin, what are we talking about? Martin bashes uh, in oh, interrogation. We just make our listeners suffer so much. We're going to do it. Maybe Bashir. Right. Maybe we're going to make journalist. him suffer. Right. Maybe we're going to make him suffer by talking about Martin Bashir more. Yeah. 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 I'm going to be suffering by talking. Somebody else talk about Martin Bashir. I will. I'll be happy to take the lead with this one because I found that this issue with him, this made me angrier and more upset than anything that I've seen in this whole series to tell you the truth, because in in most previous, like, tense relationships where, you know, maybe somebody was doing somebody something wrong, it was usually a, an issue that, that belonged between two people, and that needed to be worked out there. But here, with the deception that 
Martin Bashir was doing, I mean, number one, that makes me so angry because I want to put my faith and trust in, in the press and for him to be going about these uh, deceptive ways uh, to get this information made me angry for that breaking faith and trust in that way, just with the general public. But it also makes me angry in terms of, you know, as we talked about Diana and a lot of people in similar type of positions with her have to be really concerned about their trust in the people around them. And, you know, we talked about her, you know, not having a lot of traditional friends because so she's relying on those people that have those kinds of professional relationships with her. And here he's making up information, saying that some of these people are being deceptive and lying, which would, you know, just feed into the paranoia mm, and problems that she already had in such a major way that it just it makes me furious to think of somebody behaving that way. Well, I'll tell you what makes me even more furious about this. You look into this, uh, I, and I did for our history notes, looked into some of the BBC archive stuff. They did an investigation just as soon as the mirror came out with the false documents or with the falsified bank statements. The, I mm -hmm. think it was the mirror that actually first published them. And the director of the news actually stated after they did their first investigation, that Martin Bashir was honest, was at the at his heart an honest man and everything. And what he did was inappropriate. They would never allow that graphic designer to work for them again. But they made no mention of Martin Bashir and, and what would happen to him. And that infuriated me more that as an organization, I'm worried about the press than an individual reporter, because there's bad apples in every bushel, no matter what bushel you're looking at. There are bad mm -hmm. apples. But to find an organization that's willing to stand behind that for just even just a minute. And they did correct it. And they finally, just like last year, made a settlement with uh, Waller, the first guy that was implicated in all of that. Just last mm -hmm. year, they finally settled in court over that whole shenanigan that happened way back then. I'm sorry, Baba, you're the one who's actually gone to journalism school. So how did you feel about all this stuff with Martin Bashir? Well, this is not going to have any journalism school part of it in any way. Okay. But one thing I thought about while watching this portrayal and the way the show portrayed it is that I've watched a lot of shows, and maybe you have too. Have you ever seen Breaking Bad? And you know how there's almost like a uh, uh, a thrill of watching Walt's evil schemes on Breaking Bad work? Like, oh, what a brilliant plan that ended up working. This wasn't presented that way. <laughs> this wasn't presented that way at all. You could have actually framed this as here's this plucky, the way the show presents it as nobody at the BBC who found a way to get this very sought after interview. But it is not presented like that at all. And so I know there's always this kind of back and forth between the, the, the monarchy and how they're portrayed on this show. But in this particular case, they portray Bashir as the worst. He really is. Like, we've seen people do terrible things on this show, yet the way this is portrayed, it just comes across as the most horrific thing you've ever seen. Just a terrible, terrible thing done by a terrible, terrible person. And so uh, I just thought it was fascinating that, once again, it's it's on a different show, it could be celebrated for this guy coming up with, uh, you know, coming up with this brilliant scheme that works. But 
even if it's shady, like a like a Breaking Bad or, or kind of an anti-hero show would be. But here it is just presented as so just terrible. That, 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 There's that, nothing likable about him. No, At least Walter White there, you could no. find certain things that you could just find funny about him. Well, even Walter White, you would celebrate, well, that seems really smart that he did it. But, and you, you know, in a certain way, this could be portrayed as boy, Bashir really was smart in how he figured out a way to manipulate his, his ability to get this great scoop, but it is just presented so horrifically and terribly. And it, it, it gives it gives our whole society, I think, a black eye. I know it's easy to point to journalism, but it also gives our whole society mm. a black eye because this is what is this driven by? This is driven by competition. And oh, we can't have those American stations like Oprah come and get this interview. We have to get it. And it's it's mm-hmm. just really ugly. Susan, I yeah. want to per- I want to turn to you one more on on this. Uh are you just as infuriated by the fact that someone who had done some journalism work? Like Baron Spencer, uh, Charles Spencer had, had was fooled, and and we find out in the next episode that he actually catches some of it, and and you know because he, he, he takes notes, thank goodness. Um, but uh, I I just found the whole situation, first of all, unlikely, but second of all, just too so out of the weird blue that it you know you can't help but wonder if it didn't happen that way. I know I'll have some issues with uh, Bashir's approach in the next episode in terms of how it was portrayed more so than this, because this stuff is pretty much based on documented evidence. But uh, how did you feel about I was a little surprised. I didn't realize that Charles and, and Diana had been estranged somewhat for a little while. Yeah, her, her brother. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't either, um, frankly. So, uh, well, I mean, I guess it was clever of him to to go to him because I guess, you know, he was starting from the basis that there was already public knowledge that uh, th- that, uh, you know, someone had leaked uh, documents from him. Um, so he was able to kind of build on that. The research you did about the fact that they were the BBC was willing to sanction the graphic designer who worked with him when that guy was just, you know, being hired. It, it was Bashir that was behind it all. Right. So that, you know, it's, it's crazy. One of the things I thought was interesting when you were talking about uh, you know, him getting this, this exclusive interview that was so sought after was I was interested in how they presented it at the beginning when he was talking to his editor, where the editor was saying, well, you know, we're serious news. Isn't this more like a tabloid thing? And how there was kind of this blurring of the lines between, you know, mm. how serious news has become more tabloid. And I think we see, you know, this is a direction that journalism seems to have kind of flipped into in a lot of different ways as well. There's one topic that didn't make the wheel. I see that we only had three topics on the wheel, but I, do we want to talk about the whole car stuff? Do we want to talk about the braking incident? Now, it was reported. Uh, I got some stuff again in my history notes uh, that Hasnet actually had told somebody, uh, I think for one of the biographies of Diana, or maybe just uh, for an article that uh, Diana had told him that he, he had noticed that she had changed cars and Diana had told him that the brakes had, had gone out on the other one, Uh, whether it was, uh, you know, she obviously with all of this paranoia that's going on with Diana, it feels like that, you know, they were trying to feed into that more. And 
that's possibly part of the thing that swayed uh, her in terms of, you know, Bashir's argument in terms of starting to go through with this interview. Um, but I thought they did that. I mean, I was horrified for Diana there for a second, you know, and if you think that something like that actually did happen to her, um, how horrifying must her last moments have been when she was, you know, tumbling in a car? Right. It was, I don't have anything to say about the scene other than it was so powerful. It really, you really did. Even though I think we all know what uh, the true, the, what this is horrifically foreshadowing and you know, oh well that doesn't happen for a long time. Still watching it, you know, you feel it, you clench up. It's a very effective scene for a television drama. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it was pretty, it was left pretty ambiguous, you know, in terms of, you know, it, she may have felt that, that somebody could potentially have tampered with it, but it also could have been that it just was, you know, something where the brakes were faulty at that particular moment. Right. She, she even says to Charles, she says, you know, somebody may be trying to give me, or it just may need serviced, I think is mm -hmm. what she says as she's sitting down. So, I mean, it's not like the show tried to portray it one way or the other but when you put in all of the little phone clicks and all of this other stuff uh yeah. it's fun it's fun that they are honoring the conspiracy theorists uh in some ways i think it's kind of fun that they're doing that i, I don't think it's to be taken too seriously but i think it's fun that they're at least saying well we don't want this whole section of the fan of the diana fandom to be on our case so we'll give them just a couple of seconds of their due here and there i think that that's great how about a parliamentary debate? Parliamentary debate. We're going to have Matt and Susan debate this very important topic. Is Tom Hanks' film Apollo 13 a good date movie? Ooh. Matt, what do you think? Are you going to make me go first? Yeah. You're going to take your romantic other to go see a, a disaster it film in space an Apollo absolutely 13. <laughs> horrid choice to take Di you know diana uh to that movie or to uh say yes diana i'll go with you to that movie you are up against top-notch actors some of whom are very good looking uh not only that but you are up against top-notch characters who can walk who have the good stuff, have the right stuff to go into space and to survive a space disaster. How are you possibly going to measure up after you sit there at that movie? She's going to have so many expectations that there is no way that you can possibly meet any of those expectations. You're nothing but a frog. Never take a date to Apollo 13, because even if you aren't a frog, by the time that movie is over, you are a frog. Ouch. Susan, Susan what do you got? Ooh, so now I have to argue that it is a good movie. Yes. Uh, well, you know, I think that I think it's an excellent date movie because by going to this movie, Diana is showing uh, her new beau, Dr. Khan, that, uh, you know, she's willing to indulge his interests. And she's not just this uh, princess, this pie in the sky type of person. She can, she's a down to earth girl and she can, uh, you know, go with the flow and enjoy something that uh, he's been, you know, he hasn't taken any time to go see a movie in so long. And this was something that uh, 
was indulging his own personal interests and she was willing to go for it. So I think it was a good first step. Matt, I want to hear what our viewers think. So what are you going to do on Twitter? Well, we are going to put it on a poll on at Lilibet pod. We want you to go to that Twitter handle. We want you to find this poll is Apollo 13, a good date movie. Yay or nay. And please vote whichever way you can. We will have the results in our finale podcast next week and we want to hear from you if you have any additional thoughts on that feel free to tweet those as well to the same address you can also send emails to matt's audio blog at gmail.com i want to put my hand on the scale for a bit Uh oh that is is that by going to see this movie dr khan officially became one degree of kevin bacon Good work, Dr. God. But who cares what I think? Let's listeners let us know. Oh dear. I, oh, I honestly think it would be a horrible first day movie. Ah! <laughs> Susan's put her hand on the scale. This yeah. is incredible. Bashir did meet Diana's brother, Lord Spencer, on August 31st, 1995 then was introduced to Diana about a month later. On April 7, 1996, after the interview had been conducted in 1995, the Mail reported an existence of two forged bank statements, which Bashir commissioned from graphic designer Matthew Wessler, and which purported to show payments of thousands of pounds to Earl Spencer's former head of security from newspaper company News International and another company. BBC head of news Tony Hall's report concluded that Bashir, quote, wasn't thinking when he commissioned the graphic, but stated that he was ultimately a, quote, honest man who was not, quote, trying to mislead. But Hall said Wessler, quote, will not work for the BBC again. Source, BBC.com. In more recent developments, the BBC paid a settlement to Waller regarding falsified bank statements. A 2021 inquiry led by Lord Dyson found Bashir acted in a, quote, deceitful way to secure an interview with Princess Diana. The corporation said it had now settled with Mr. Waller. Source, BBC.com. Prince William enrolled at Eton College in 1995. He became the first senior royal to enroll in the school in Berkshire, England. His father, Prince Charles, and his grandfather, Prince Philip, both went to the boarding school in Scotland, Gordonston. But Diana's brother and father had both attended Eton before. Source, Town and Country Magazine. Diana was romantically linked to a few different people, including art dealer Oliver Hoare, and rugby star Will Carling, but only one man has been called the quote, love of her life, British-Pakistani surgeon Hasnit Khan, whom Diana dated from 1995 to 1997. Source, Town and Country Magazine. According to Princess Diana's former lover, Dr. Hasnit Khan, the Royals switched cars after experiencing faulty brakes. Quote, I asked her what happened to the Audi as it was such a lovely car. 
She told me that the brakes had been tampered with, so she decided to change the car, end quote. Additionally, in the royal author John Morgan's 2014 book, The Assassination of Princess Diana, the royal's friend, Simone Simmons, said Diana had been convinced someone had tampered with her brakes on apparently another car, a green Audi. The incident is said to have happened in November of 1995, when she was returning to Kensington Palace from a doctor's appointment. Source, express.co.uk Pakistan was Diana's first official solo trip in 1991. Her visit lasted four days in which she dined with Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif and visited various places including Badshahi Mosque and Kinyard College, a family welfare center in Islamabad, and the Khyber Rifles. Source, thecurrent.pk And finally, the Tom Hanks film Apollo 13 premiered in the UK on September 22, 1995. It had premiered in the United States near the end of June of that year. Source, Wikipedia. Let's get your recap for Season 5, Episode 8. And that one is entitled Gunpowder, appropriately. Uh, Written by Peter Morgan, directed once again by Eric Richter-Strand. Here's your recap. It's all about power struggles within the BBC regarding its future and about Diana as we meet Marmaduke, Dookie, Hussey, the chairman, and John Burt, the director general. William helps Elizabeth with her TV and distance himself from his mother's relationship talks, while Bashir and Hewlett discuss making sure that the interview is run up the chain of the command before finalizing. Elizabeth decides to get a new TV with the help of William, while Hussey asks a favor of Bert to do a special on the Queen, all the while Bert is having to consider whether to allow the interview. Bert gives a go-ahead, but Diana's brother has been checking his notes, and now doubts if Bashir can be trusted. Diana tells Bashir about these concerns, but Bashir manages to play them off. As Prince William and us viewers get a lecture on what Guy Fawkes' night is, we see that night as Diana lets Bashir's crew in and gives the interview, while the rest of the monarchy celebrates with fireworks. The contents of the interview make it difficult for Bert to decide to approve airing it, but Bashir and Newlet give him a deadline to approve it, that deadline involving Diana telling the Queen about the interview. He decides to go forward, and when the Princess tells the Queen, she is not happy. Likewise, when Bert tells Hussey, he is not happy. On the 20th of November, the Queen and Philip celebrate their anniversary at the Royal Variety event as the interview airs, and the rest of the world watches and absorbs Diana's words, each in their own way. Spinning. So many words. Uh, Susan, where did it land? Traditionalism versus modernism in this episode in particular and for the season as a whole. Ooh, what do you got on that? Yeah, I think that, it, you know, I love the way that they opened this with uh, uh, Marmaduke here. Uh, the head of the BBC board versus the uh, the acting director. I think that was his title. But, uh, you know, the two very opposing views in terms of coming from a very traditionalist perspective on how the BBC is this solid institution of Britain and it's going to, uh, you know, it should be upholding that and being on the side of the monarch and so forth where, um the director was trying to bring them forth 
into a more modern era. And I think that, you know, we've seen this reflected throughout this entire season in terms of the, you know, Charles and uh, Elizabeth and the kind of the tension between the two of them and their perspective roles and in the different committees that are looking at, you know, whether to modernize or how to modernize the monarchy in light of what was going on. I think that the way they they framed this episode and then how all of that um, played into the interview with Diana was just a, a really nice way of, of you know, kind of continuing this whole look at how you know what's more important the traditionalism or trying to bring things in more into the modern age or you know do we look for a balance or or what yeah one thing that is historically significant that isn't really mentioned in this episode and one of the reasons why john burt was so important for that second bbc charter was because digital rights were included you know while hussey was making it about satellites and whatever because he was in the present and he was seeing that competition coming down the line bert had a much longer view of what was going to be truly important and that was the digital stuff uh which he totally uh took the reins with them in terms of you know how to frame all that together and get it included in the charter uh so in my mind uh if you if you're looking at what would have worked in terms of the next charter with traditionalism or modernism uh if you don't have bert i think the bbc would be sorely sorely behind for the next 10 years right and i did uh, look up a little bit about the the two individuals and uh saw that uh they had really credited uh bert with uh bringing the bbc into the more modern era as well as uh the fact that when he uh, when he left the BBC, he went on to become an advisor for Tony Blair. Excellent. Bubba, you got any thoughts? Are you a traditionalist or a modernist? This might bleed into one of our other topics, Matt. But what I really felt was it's an interesting juxtaposition because as a viewer, you've seen what Martin Bashir, the character Martin Bashir had been doing in the previous episode and in this episode. And then, and so you're like, well, definitely we're not on his side. He's the worst. And then, at least for me, when you position these two people against each other, and this one guy's saying, hey, let's do a puff piece to thank the queen. I was like, <laughs> that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And so I'm, I'm on Bert's side. And so it's an interesting juxtaposition is I'm in, I'm for the guy who's going to allow the uh, interview which was uh, gotten by uh, sleazy means and so I, I just thought that was a fascinating work on it I do think in life traditionalism versus modernism it always has to be a balance it always has to be you you do have to respect and learn from history but you do always want to move forward so I lean towards modernism and I think the episode even with the Bart Martin Bashir uh, shadow hanging over it was correct to lean into modernism. Yeah, and I, I agree that the balance is important. So, you know, I totally agree with you what you're saying. Though it, it is interesting that that uh, puff piece is what, uh, you know, got uh, Bert to then say, okay, go ahead. I can read this one. Oh, Lord Marmaduke Hussey and John Baron Bert.
the, the whole idea of him just saying, yep, not going to do the queen thing, you know, like the night after or some, I guess the same night that Diana has to uh, tell the queen what's going on. It's like, he just says, yeah, not going to do that. And by the way, we're going to blow the monarchy up with this. You know, right. he didn't say so much, but he knew that was what was going to happen. Right. Uh, it, it did feel like a bit of Bert agreeing to the whole thing with Bashir, even though he obviously had his reservations about it, but it, it, it almost felt like it was, okay, let's do this as, as a kind of knee-jerk reaction to uh, what uh, mm -hmm. uh, Marmaduke was uh, proposing that he do. And, you know, he was telling him, you know, we've got the Queen's uh, Golden Jubilee, I believe it was coming up. So, you know, in five years, so we're going to be really focusing on on her naturally at that point in time. We don't need to be doing it right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, for all that, it seems as if um, Bert has been positioned as someone who did a lot of good for the BBC. It just felt kind of like a, almost a, out of spite type of reaction. Well, I want to jump in and say this was a, a point I almost talked about in the last episode, and that is as underhanded and inappropriate as Martin Bashir's tactic was to get the interview, unless I'm mistaken, it's not like they edited Diana's words to say something that she didn't intend. All right. And so you could argue that she was going to say this to somebody like the way once again, the show presents this on the show's world. Diana was going to say this stuff to somebody. Why would it be better than for it to be on an ABC or a CBS? Why would it be wrong to be on BBC? If she's going to say it, I think you do want to be the station that's going to run it. Not if you're auntie. Auntie, as, as Dookie says. No. Old, old auntie. Everybody's favorite auntie. Auntie is always right. <laughs> <laughs> That's that traditionalist. Yep. The solid traditionalist. He doesn't Boy, want to see any uh, movement it, forward. Entrenched. But you can understand when, you know, this guy comes from that whole generation of, you know, he was in World War II, even, you know, lost a, a leg in, in the, as a result of uh, his being in a, a battle and a prisoner of war and so forth. You can see where they, he would be coming from that generation that would have that perspective. Susan, you definitely just reminded me of why didn't I give these three episodes a 10 out of 10? Because I really did love them. And this is the silliest nitpick that obviously didn't stop my enjoyment of the show in any way. But the way so many of these episodes have to kind of give us backstory, it'd be like, yes, oh, remember, he lost his leg in World War II. Oh, you're the one who set the bar high for our high standards. Oh, aren't you the guy who wrote the who who did the interview with Joe Schmo? Like literally, there is some blatant exposition just hitting in somebody's dialogue coming out of somebody's mouth. Like they almost need a town crier. We're introducing Martin Bashir. He works on a show <laughs> on a magazine show, and here he is. Like sometimes it is the most unnatural dialogue to do this kind of exposition dump to get the listeners to understand who a person is and what their positions are. And in this specific episode, that line setting up about, oh, you know, he lost a leg, leg in the water, you know, like it is, it comes out <laughs> of the blue. 
is like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. A uh, uh, pizza delivery guy. Thank God you're here to bring the pizza over to this man right here who fought in World War II and lost a leg. <laughs> I'm just delivering a pizza. Come on, do it. So I love these episodes. That is a silly thing to point out. But boy, when you notice it, it happens in every single episode. And you're like, okay, roll call. Here we go. We're going to put a pin in it, and we are going to come up with a part two where we will continue our conversation. Remember, we want your feedback. It's the only way we can enter you into our contest is if you submit feedback. We have to know who we want to draw for this. And if you submit feedback, you will get a chance to win the crown dissected or either the crown official companion volume one, which covers the years 47 to 55 or the crown in vogue or, and uh, lots of pretty pictures of vogue magazine articles and images, beautiful stuff. And of course we also have volume two, of the Crown Official Companion that we will be giving away. That's the years 1956 to 1977. We want to give all of this to you. So how do you do that? How do you submit feedback so that you can be entered into this contest? Well, that's pretty easy. You tweet to at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-Bet pod on Twitter. You can send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S audioblog at gmail.com. You can use the same spelling for our website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can leave comments on web posts there. You can also leave comments on our videos, which are on the Double P Media YouTube. Look for youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media, and be sure to subscribe because it's not just our podcast that's there. There's all kinds of great shows that Double P Media covers, and usually with Bubba and Catfish, who are very funny guys and very entertaining guys, and they will entertain you, unlike what some of the stuff that I do, which may not be so entertaining it may be more annoying than entertaining some of you may find it entertaining i tend to uh, you know entertain myself by being annoying so i don't know what that says about me at any rate uh be sure to check that out you can also find all their socials use this spelling the word double the letters phq the word double the letters phq for twitter for instagram for hive also for facebook facebook.com slash the word double the letters phq this has been matt thanks for listening. Bye.